church, our Lord said, Why are you persecuting me? So Christ is still on the cross. Behold, I stand at the door of God. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. You're listening to Behold the Man with your host, Joe McCoy. Buenos dias, que tal? Welcome back to Behold the Man. I'm your host, Joe McLean. It's great to be back with you again this week. That intro song is Act of Faith by Sue Peters. It's a very fitting song for today's show as we finish up this section of A Father Who Keeps His Promises, our continuing study on salvation history by Dr. Scott Hahn. That's chapter 5 that we're going to be finishing up. We're going to be talking about how Abraham was called to sacrifice his only begotten son, Isaac. And this is going to be a phenomenal uh, foretaste, a, a foreshadowing, a typology, a prototype of what's to come. God providing himself the lamb on the mountain. If we look at paragraph 2572 of, a, of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, it says, quote, As a final stage in the purification of his faith, Abraham, who had received the promises, is asked to sacrifice the son God had given him. Abraham's faith does not weaken. God himself will provide the lamb for a burnt offering. For he considered that God was able to raise men even from the dead. And so the father of believers is conformed to the likeness of the father who will not spare his own son, but will deliver him up for us all. Prayer restores man to God's likeness and enables him to share in the power of God's love that saves the multitude, unquote. This is a taste of what we're going to be diving into today. It's a great section. This is an awesome opportunity for us to, to pull out all of these parallel passages, all of the, the links, all of the typology that's just boiling over in this section. So I can't wait. 
Let us begin with a prayer in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory and honor and praise be to you, Almighty God, forever and ever and ever. We come before you today and beg you to send forth your Holy Spirit to enlighten our minds, to bring us your word so deep and rich and full, that you might make it come alive for us today, that you might increase our faith today, increase our hope, increase our love. We pray especially for the restoration of the lost and fallen away. We pray for the conversion of sinners. We pray for the unification of all Christians. Bring us together. Strengthen your Pope, your Bishop, to serve in your church, dear Father. We ask Our Lady and her intercession for us as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you'd like a link to Sue Peters, stop by my website at www.catholichack.com where you can find the show notes for this episode, You're Only Begotten, on the Behold the Man Catholic Radio Show. Well, today's topic comes to us from Genesis chapter 22. This is this great scene where Abraham is asked to offer up his only son on this mysterious mountain. And, you know, we've seen in in the past, just discussing Abraham, where he barters with God, trying to save Sodom and Gomorrah from destruction, bartering with God, but not in this episode. That is a very telling sign of, of the power and the magnitude of what is being asked of him here, and the power and magnitude of his act of faith. Well, in Genesis chapter 22, in verse 1, we see God testing Abraham. It says, after all of these things, God calls to him and, and sends him out and says, you know, to take your, your only son and offer him on Moriah. Now, what's interesting is this test comes right after, you know, in the previous chapter of Genesis, uh, Genesis chapter 21, the previous chapter, we see how Sarah it brings forth Isaac. She conceives, she bears Isaac. This is the fulfillment of the promise God had made, you know, through Sarah's faith and her commitment. God is a man of his word, bringing forth Isaac from this woman who is well past the year, the age of bearing children. Now, what happens right after that, she looks and she sees Ishmael playing with Isaac, and immediately she becomes jealous and envious and, and tells Abraham to cast out this slave woman's child and the slave woman. And this, of course, breaks the heart of Abraham, because Ishmael is his son, and he loves him. But an angel comes and tells him to heed Sarah's voice, Sarah's word, because God will make a nation of Ishmael as well. But even still, Abraham is saddened by this. And so he, he takes some provision, some water, and gives it to, to Hagar, the slave woman, and her son Ishmael, and casts them out. They are now disinherited. No longer is Ishmael his son. Now Isaac is his only son. And that's where we start in verse 1 of chapter 22. God tests him. In verse 2, God tells him to take your only son and offer him on Moriah. Take your only son left and kill him. Really? I mean, come on. 
You made all these promises, Father. You said that my descendants would be as many as the sands of the seashore or the stars in the heavens. And now you're telling me to kill my only son? Okay, whatever you say. I mean, there's no, there's no, there's no backlash here. There's no, there's no uh, fight from Abraham. There's no bartering like he did with the three visitors to his tent with before Sodom and Gomorrah. No, none of that. Just simply, yes. Just simply an act of faith. This is very curious. With Ishmael gone, Isaac was his only son. If he op- if he offers up Isaac, then who will be left to fulfill the promises God had made for him, giving him countless descendants? He must have believed that God will provide a way, that God is a man of his word. God is God of his word. He is not going to be like the rest of us who give our word and break it all the time. No, not God. When he says he's going to do something, he will do it. Even if we fail to cooperate with him in the process, he will keep his word. Moriah is that same mountain upon which the temple will one day be built. It's the same place where one day our Lord Jesus Christ will be crucified upon. Now we know this for certain because in Second Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1, we are told that Solomon began to build the temple, the house of God upon the mountain, the Mount Moriah. So this is a string of little mountaintops in Jerusalem. And upon one of those was, was the temple built. And upon another one of those was where Calvary or Golgotha was, where our Lord would one day be offered up. In verse 4, we see that it was on the third day that he looks up, he raises his eyes and beholds the mountain where he would finally, you know, come to offer up his son. Now, that's significant. When you hear on the third day, okay, that is very significant biblical language. And that is a pointing, a foreshadowing to a future fulfillment, to a, to a New Testament fulfillment of this Old Testament prototype. So we need to start paying attention to the scenery. Think of this like like a stage and a play, an act is going on. Let's look at the props. Let's look at the characters. Let's look at all the, the scenery of what's happening and taking place. Because in order to understand their greater significance of the, the future of what they point to, we must take an account, an inventory of all these objects. For instance, we see that it was Abraham who saddled the ass, right? Okay, that... That ass, that donkey, is very critical. It's an element of a proper, a, 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 an element of this big story that's going to come to a, a fulfillment in the New Testament. We see that Abraham brings his son Isaac. He also brings the wood for the offering. He brings two others to the mountain. Now, all of these elements all have New Testament fulfillments. The donkey we will see again when when Saint Peter puts Jesus upon the donkey and Jesus rides into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday in a triumphal entry, which was obviously had greater significance pointing to how in the Old Testament, it was Zadok the priest who placed Solomon on the donkey, anointing him king, ordaining him to be the king of the people of Israel. And it was Solomon who rides into the city on the donkey. And so Jesus is fulfilling all of that. But this donkey also links us to Mount Moriah, Abraham and Isaac. The son, Isaac, obviously is a clear and easy pointer to Jesus Christ, the son of the Most High God, the father of us all. The father will offer his son. Abraham offers his son. The wood 
that will be used to burn Isaac up also points us to that wooden cross, the instrument of our salvation upon which is hung our salvation. Every year on Good Friday, we we sing this hymn. Oh, I love this hymn. Behold, behold, the wood of the cross on which is hung our salvation. That is a very powerful and moving hymn. And I love to sing that every year at Good Friday because we see the power of the cross. This wood that Abraham brings to offer his son points to the wood that brings salvation to all mankind. Now, these two others also point us to that day at Calvary when our Lord was offered up because he was offered up with two others. But there's also a very interesting point here because in verse 4, we are told that Abraham tells the two to stay. Isaac and I will go over yonder. We will worship and we will come back to you. In sort of an, an illusionary way, a pointing to a vague illusion, it kind of reminds me in that episode in St. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 26, verses 36 and following, where Jesus takes the twelve into, into uh, the Garden of Gethsemane. He, he, leaves, he leaves some behind, and he takes Peter, James, and John with him, and he goes a little further. But he tells the, the, he tells the rest to stay here, for we are going to go out and pray, and we'll come back to you. And then he tells he tells Peter, James, and John to sit and keep watch. You know? So this is sort of an allusion to that episode where Jesus takes his disciples into this garden, one of the hills around Jerusalem, the same region that this is happening with Abraham and Isaac and these two others. Abraham's telling these, stay here. We were going to go and offer worship and we'll be back. What a another act of faith, you know, that we're going to be back. It's going to be okay. It's going to work out because otherwise I don't have a clue as what's going to happen. I'm simply trusting in God. I know he's going to find a way through this. I'm going to trust him for the whole deal. I can, you can sort of sense that from him. At least that's how uh, the only way I think I could relate to it, right? In verse 6, we see that the wood of the offering, Abraham places this wood upon his son. And Isaac carries this wood up the mountain for the sacrifice. This, of course, is a clear illusion, a prototype for the day when our Lord Jesus Christ will also take up the wood of the cross and march up that same hill, that same mountain to be offered up on a peak on that mountain, Calvary. He carries his own wood like Isaac carries his own wood. In verse 7 and 8, we see how Abba, Father, you know, Isaac is crying out to his daddy. Where? is the lamb for the sacrifice, Father. Isaac is asking him for this lamb. Where is this this lamb? You know, we've got the wood, we've got the fire, we've got the knife, we've got all of the elements, Father, for the sacrifice. But uh, one thing is lacking. I see no lamb, okay? An essential element for the sacrifice. Where's the lamb? Abraham responds in verse 8, quote, God will provide himself, the lamb, for a burnt offering, my son. Fret not, my son, God will provide the lamb. Just as Jesus calls out to his father, also in St. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 26, Abba, Father, let this cup pass from me, yet not my will be done, but thine be done. If it is your will, let this cup pass from me. This cup 
okay, the fourth cup of the Passover feast that he will consume on the cross and the, the cup of and the sponge of sour wine. That is the cup of consummation in the Passover feast. That is when our Lord will say, Tell Telestai, it is consumed, it is finished, it is, or it is consummated rather. It is finished. What's finished? The Passover sacrifice of himself, the Lamb of God. He is saying there in the Garden of Gethsemane, Let this cross, let this cup or this cross pass for me. Let this, this necessity to be to be sacrificed, pass for me. But yet not my will be done, but thine be done. May the Lord's will be done. It is a beautiful imagery to see all of this. Here in Genesis chapter 22, God telling us, giving us the inside scoop, telling us of what will come to pass on this same location in the future. God will make right all that has been made wrong. God will bring back to fulfillment all that has been promised. God will reestablish mankind into one family here in this location. And he's making it ultra clear through Genesis chapter 22 in this issue of Abraham offering up his son. In verse 9, we see the binding and placing of Isaac on the wood on the altar. Isaac was a young man by this point, and he could have, if he had chosen to, defend himself. Abraham was an old man. Isaac clearly could have gotten away if he really wanted to. He could have overpowered this older man, and he could have defended himself, but yet he didn't. Yet he submitted himself to the will of Abraham and the will of God to be bound, to be placed on the wood, on the altar, and be prepared for sacrifice. This means, this is telling us that Isaac was a cooperator. His faith was as rich as Abraham's was. Jesus, too, was placed upon the wood of the sacrifice, the cross, in the total cooperation with his father. And his father's plan, his father's will. We see this. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 26, verse 41. Or let's look at St. John's Gospel 18, verse 11. Shall I not drink the cup my father has given me to drink? Jesus accepts the father's plan. He accepts the father's will. He accepts the father's task that he has given him, and he will see it through to the end, even if it means his death. In verse 12 of Genesis 22, we read, quote, For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. You see, in this time, in the time of Abraham, all the Near Eastern cultures offered human sacrifice to demonic idols. And so for Abraham to be told to offer up his only son, he must have, you know, if it were me, I would have half-heartedly thought, oh great, this whole time, you call me out of Haran, you call you call us out of Ur of the Chaldees, you call us out of Haran, you call me to sojourn, you call me into Egypt, you call me back, I'm going everywhere for you, and here you are, just like all the other pagan idols, asking me to offer up my children to you. But yet he does it. Yet he does it in faith, trusting in God. And so what does he do? He's ready, knife in hand, hand raised, coming down. Wait, Abraham, Abraham, here am I. 
Stay your hand. Do not kill your son. Do not kill your son. That's when he says in verse 12, For I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. God is pointing to Abraham and to his descendants and all of us through the inspired word that God is not like all those pagan idols asking for human sacrifice. No, you do not offer up human sacrifice. You do not offer up your children to me. No, I offer up my son to you. I offer up my son for you. Therein lies the difference. The fake ones, the counterfeits, they will take for themselves. The true God gives of himself. Therein lies the difference. This is complete trust in God, trusting that God could even raise him from the dead because it was God who promised him as, de- as his descendants, name, blessing of all nations. We see this in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 19. Quote, he considered that God was able to raise men even from the dead. Hence, he did not, or I'm sorry, hence he did receive him back and this was a symbol. Notice it was on the third day that this sacrifice took place, where Isaac is redeemed back to Abraham, when God stays the hand of this man Abraham from killing his son, pointing us to that day when on the third day Jesus would be raised from the dead. Now, this is interesting that Abraham, we are told in Hebrews eleven nineteen, believed that God could raise men from the dead, trusting in the resurrection of the dead. It was Adam, if we recall correctly, from Genesis 3, who did not trust in God, raising him back from dead. It was Adam who had the choice to stand in the gap between the great Nahash, the serpent, who came in to to bully, to threaten the lives of Adam and Eve. He did not stand and protect Eve and the garden, as was his job, as we saw from Genesis chapter 2. No, he instead, he did not trust God to raise him up. No, he saved his flesh and gave up his soul. Abraham, given a similar test, save the flesh of your son, or save the soul of your son, or yourself, in a vague way. This was the same test. And yet Abraham trusted God, that even if I should have to take the life of my son Isaac, God can raise him up again, and give him back. We'll see this same test come, in Jesus Christ. There, being tested in the Garden of Gethsemane as he starts to sweat blood from his brow falling onto the ground, Jesus had the choice, save his own flesh or save the souls of us all. Jesus did trust in the resurrection and forsook his skin and saved our souls. We see this in St. Matthew, or I'm sorry, St. Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, verses 33 and 34, quote, Behold, We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit upon him and scourge him and kill him, and after three days he will rise. Jesus knew this was coming. He knew he would have to go to Calvary. He knew he would have to be nailed to a cross there to bake in the sun, there to drown in his own bodily fluids after being scourged and had the skin ripped from his body. He saw it coming, but he looked us all in the eye and said, I give myself to you. 
I die for you. I suffer for you. And I trust myself to God, my Father, who is worthy and just and will raise me on the third day. This is the foreshadowing of what was happening there in Genesis 22 when Abraham was asked to offer his son on this same mountain. In verse 13, we are told that the ram is caught in a thicket by his horns. Abraham saw this ram and was pleased because this was now the lamb, the ram that would be offered up as a sacrifice that day. But in sacred scripture, we are told that this also points to to another greater fulfillment, another sacrifice that was to come, the sacrifice of, of Jesus on the cross for sure. But Jesus says something very curious in St. John's Gospel, chapter 8, verses 56 through 58. It says, quote, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he was to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. The Jews then said to him, You are not fifty years old, and have, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Unquote. The I am is Greek. The Greek is ego eimi. These same Greek words were used in the, the Septuagint when Moses was in the burning bush. And the name of God, I am, who am, is given. It's the same Greek words, ego eimi. Jesus is claiming to be God here. It's very, very powerful. But the fact that Jesus says here that Abraham saw my day and was glad is a pointer to this ram being caught in this thicket with his horns and was Abraham was glad Abraham sees the future coming now what's interesting too is this ram is a prototype of Jesus with his crown of thorns being nailed to the tree caught there this these crown this crown of thorns the thorns is also very curious because we saw it the thorns there in Genesis chapter 3 as a as a sort of a a curse of the broken covenant between Adam and God, that Adam was cast out of the garden and he was cast into the thorns and the thistles where he would labor and his sweat would drop from his brow and hit the floor, hit the ground. This image is given to us again in its fulfillment in Jesus Christ, whose blood would drop from his brow onto the ground as he labored for the salvation of us all as he bore the crown of thorns in his head, as he took the lashes, the stripes that would redeem us, as he was nailed to the tree, given this cross by his own father for us all. In verse 16, God swears the oath by himself. Because of Abraham's gift of faith to God, not withholding even his only son Isaac, God will be a man of his word and fulfill all the covenant promises he made with Abraham. It is with it is when Jesus is lifted up and draws all men to himself that he is the perfect fulfillment of this verse, blessing all nations. We see this come to fulfillment in Acts chapter 2. We talked about this a few weeks ago. We see how every man, it comes together from every nation under earth, under heaven, comes to Jerusalem. All these Jews come back to Jerusalem for this feast of Pentecost. There where they are praying at that, at that 
that morning offering in the temple, praying for the coming back of the Shekinah glory cloud, asking God to bring back the Shekinah glory cloud into the temple. And what do they hear? The strong rushing wind. They see the tongues of fire and the speaking in tongues. You know, these are all uh, pointers to the heavenly worship, the heavenly temple touching down on earth. The ingathering is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy as we spoke of before. This is the birth of the church, the Catholic church, the, the church of the, the universal church, the on the whole, the ingathering of all the people together under Christ, his church. It is his church built upon the rock of St. Peter. This is a beautiful foreshadowing here in Genesis 22 with Abraham offering up his only son, pointing to the day of our salvation. Scott Hahn says on page 109, quote, When God saw that Abraham had not withheld his only son, he swore to bless all nations through Abraham's seed. Since the blessing of a father is reserved for his family, this oath is nothing less than God's pledge to restore the human race as his own worldwide family. This is why the establishment of the Catholic Church must be attributed to God's faithfulness and power. It represents nothing less than the historic fulfillment of God's sworn covenant to Abraham. Wow, that is powerful stuff. Abraham's faith, his act of faith, teaches us all to trust in God, because on the mountain, God will provide. Well, that's going to wrap up chapter 5 of A Father Who Keeps His Promises. We're now able to move forward in the, the story of salvation history, looking at Isaac and Jacob, leading us into Joseph and his brothers, into Egypt, and then Moses. And eventually, we'll stop with Christ on the cross. Until next time, I'm praying for you, so please pray for me. Stop by catholichack.com for more information. May God richly bless you. From the Catholic Underground. Please find